The next chapter with Prim's Ripapat is a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, everybody, it's Prem. Welcome to the next chapter presented by Baron Davis and Slick Studios. This week's guest is former Olympic figure skater and Stanford University graduate Rachel Flatt. As an elite athlete, Rachel was the 2008 World Junior Champion, the 2010 U.S. National Champion, and then at the 2010 Vancouver Games, she finished seventh overall in ladies figure skating. So obviously a very accomplished athlete. And it's fascinating because Rachel and I are following very, very similar paths, at least when it comes to our post-athletic careers. So she graduated from Stanford University in 2015 with a major in biology and then a minor in psychology. And today she is a PhD clinical psychology student at UNC Chapel Hill, where she is focusing much of her research and clinical training, like me, on the mental health of athletes. But she's specifically looking at eating disorders and disordered eating behaviors within the athlete population. Now, heading into this interview... I was really curious about why her transition from figure skating had been relatively easy. Because based on the research I had done, including having listened to a few other interviews, she had talked about how her retirement, specifically at the 2014 U.S. National Figure Skating Championships, was kind of great and memorable because she was able to walk away on her own terms. But, there's a but, but... As you'll hear during our conversation, my hypothesis or assumption about her retirement experiences were completely wrong. On an emotional and psychological level, it was really, really difficult for her to leave figure skating. And understandably, because it's been a part of her life since she was four years old. And I think what's really compelling about this conversation is number one, Even when an athlete is able to walk away on their own terms with absolutely no regrets, the transition from sport can and will most likely be hard for a lot of athletes. Because when your life and every fiber of your being is dedicated to this one thing and then that thing ends, it's going to require some level of adjustment. And we all know change is never easy. And number two, the second point I want to highlight from this conversation is we can't make assumptions about people's experiences if we don't ask them directly. Uh, Even though Rachel had talked about retiring from figure skating in a more kind of positive way in other interviews and on other shows, context is really important. So depending on the conversation and topic and depending on the environment or tone, and also depending on the questions and how they were asked, all of that might lend a completely different answer. So it's really important that we provide the right setting and also ask the right questions. If we really want to know the truth about something or someone, including an athlete's retirement experiences. Really hope you enjoy this conversation. So sit back, relax, and without further ado, here's Rachel Flatt.
Well, Rachel, it's so great to have you on the show. You and I have gotten the opportunity to work with uh, one another. You know, we're co-writing um, a chapter on athletes and eating disorders and disordered eating behaviors, which is, we're still in the process of it. But how are you doing? I am doing really well. A little tired. The grad school fatigue is very real right now, but <laughs> um, but otherwise doing really well. You're a couple of years ahead of me, so you're much closer to the light at the end of the tunnel. So you're almost there. <laughs> you're almost there. Yeah. Um, well, I'm so excited to talk about you and and hit on so many different topics, but really, I, I wanted to focus on your transition from figure skating. So, you know, I was kind of listening to a couple of interviews. You've done a lot of interviews, but the uh, a couple of them that I listened to, you mentioned that leaving sport for you was actually, um, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it seemed like it was relatively easy after the 2014 nationals. Uh, but what, what was your transition like and, and was it easy for you? Yeah, I think it, started easy. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah. It, um, it was really interesting because I was a junior in college at that point in time and, um, really had a lot of other things on my plate. I was actually pre-med at that point and, um, really was interested in just diving into like the collegiate environment. And, you know, I was a junior class president and had a ton of other stuff on my plate at that point. So it felt like an easy and natural kind of slide into all these other things that I had put on my plate just to kind of keep me busy. Um, but once I graduated the following year, it really hit me that I hadn't processed my retirement at all. Um, and also had kind of stuck with the the status quo in pursuing this pre-med plan um, that I had kind of set up since my freshman year without really giving myself like the opportunity to question that or consider if there were alternative career paths that I wanted to pursue that maybe fit my interests a little bit better. So all of that kind of came crashing down <laughs> um, right after I graduated. And um, it was it was a difficult year, um, just trying to reevaluate what I really wanted to do and my identity as I was no longer a competitive athlete. And I know that that's something a lot of athletes uh, experience when when you're trying to figure out your life post-sport, especially when it's been something that has kind of tethered and grounded your identity and who you are as a person. So it was it was rough uh, after that initial easy transition. <laughs> that is so interesting. And I'm so, thank you for sharing that. I'm so glad I, I was more specific about my question. And it's that's hilarious that I could listen to something and, and make an assumption or, or make a conclusion about what you said, because I guess there is a difference because at, I, in that particular interview, um, I think you were talking uh, with Polina Edmonds on her Believe mm -hmm. podcast, and you had mentioned that you were able to walk away with essentially kind of no regrets and you you had a sense of control over over how your career ended. And yet, at the same time, it was still hard. Mm -hmm. Yeah, huh. I think... You know, if you, I make this joke that if you look at my resume on paper, you know, it's like, okay, it would make sense that, or it would seem as though my transition out of sport was great. <laughs> um, but, and I, and I really did get to end my career on my own terms, which I am so thankful for. I had a number of injuries for the last four years of my skating career and obviously balancing skating with a uh, pre-med track at, at um, you know, an elite college was... <laughs> 
<laughs> was not easy to say the least, yeah. but, um, but it was still really valuable in getting to work with a coaching team that I adored and really supported me as a human first and as an athlete second. Um, so I was finally able to end my career without being injured with a great team at my side, feeling really supported. And for that, I will always be exceed, like extremely grateful because it just helped me feel like I could walk away from skating and my competitive career, um, feeling really at peace. Um, but yeah, it's just it's so interesting because, you know, it's like I had all this stuff that I thought I would wanted to do. And I had all these things lined up for me right after I graduated and right after I retired with a bunch of shows and, um, yeah, and I just really tried to keep myself busy. Um, and at that point didn't necessarily realize like the importance of dealing with kind of the emotional fallout of, of retirement. So what was that emotional experience for you? What was the most difficult part about it? <laughs> there were a lot of things that were difficult. I mean, part of it, I think the, one of the most important things to that experience for me was understanding that I could kind of redefine success in my life. Um, what I was so worried about was this feeling of having to start over from scratch. Um, and, you know, I didn't necessarily realize at that point that I, you know, I had all these incredible skills from skating and from being in sport and, you know, that transferred to real life. Um, but I just had a very narrow idea of how those, how those skills kind of fit into sport. Um, and so I was really worried about, you know, people kind of this external perception of, of, how I would move beyond skating. And I felt this pressure to kind of immediately jump into the next career and be really successful. Um, and so the Same. idea, yeah, yeah. So the idea of like starting over was terrifying. Um, yeah. and then kind of dealing with this secondary, like, Oh crap, I don't really want to go to medical school <laughs> now. What? Um, I, yeah, those, those two things kind of as a one, two punch really just, um, threw me for a loop. And so I felt really depressed. I felt this loss of identity. I was really, you know, I was concerned with what was coming next. Um, so there was a lot of worrying that was happening. Um, so yeah, just, I kind of sat with that for the better part of a year and, um, was not really at a point where I felt open enough to kind of share that with even my closest inner circle. Um, and my boyfriend at the time, who's now my husband, I just, you know, I was like, I gotta keep this front up. I gotta show everyone that I'm doing great. And even with him, there were times where I just finally like had to kind of let those walls down. And um, yeah, it just was really scary to do that and be so vulnerable when in an athletic setting, you're so you're taught to not mm -hmm. really show that and demonstrate that. And obviously things are starting to change there, but kind of when I was going through sport, that was the overarching sentiment was to not show your vulnerability. So, yeah, so it was a lot of different things. It was complex. It was, um, yeah, just difficult to kind of navigate and feel really isolated in working through that. And, um, yeah, fortunately had a lot of great people who, I finally started opening up to um, both athletes and non-athletes and just kind of took the the advice and the support that was really helpful over that period and um, was finally able to kind of start moving through that. So, yeah, it was it was a rough go <laughs> for a little bit there, but uh, finally made it out the other side and feel like I'm doing really well now. 
Girl, I hear you. I mean, identity, <laughs> check. Transition, check. Emotions, check. Yeah. Not, you know, coming from a sport culture where we're taught and conditioned to push them aside and really compartmentalize, check. And then being learning how to be vulnerable. Like, I think that's like, you know, the conver- oh, that topic comes up so much in, in my interviews about like, what skills do we develop in sport that really is important within that context and to achieving a certain amount of performance. And then how do we have to like retrain ourselves when it comes to like our personal lives, especially like interpersonally, I think I'm just like blown away at the information that I, you know, looking at learning a little bit more about your background, reading what's on paper, which obviously is not only representative of how, you know, who the person is, mm-hmm. but then hearing some of these interviews and I was like, really like my hypothesis was totally wrong. Like I really <laughs> thought that, you know, cause in some of these other interviews, and I also want to give credit where credit is due. I, I listened to Polina's interview mm-hmm. with you. I also listened to another interview with a pediatric sports medicine podcast, yeah. um, both great interviews. And, you know, you also talked about your parents and how they really, you know, focused on developing you as a person. Mm-hmm. And yet I'm like still shocked that you had a difficult time because in those interviews and those conversations, it did come off as though the transition, while hard, you were able to like really navigate. So I mm-hmm. guess the next question is, is, is it, is it how the person asks or is it that we, we really need to be asking the, the, the right questions and in, in terms of, or how different questions lead to different answers? Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah. yeah, I think so to some extent, right? Like the way in which we're talking about transition out of sport is different in different contexts. Right? Um, mm-hmm. One of the things that I think when we're talking about transition out of sport, it can feel hard to kind of present that, um, you know, in the right setting, it's like, you know, when we, when we've talked about this kind of offline, you know, there's certainly this mutual understanding of like what that experience is really like. Um, and when you're talking about it publicly, when you're talking about it personally, like sometimes there's just different frames that can be helpful for different folks. So, you know, certainly with, you know, with talking with Paulina, you know, there's a lot of information around like what that experience was like from truly like a skating lens and then mm-hmm. how that kind of translates to like what I'm doing currently as a clinical psych PhD student who's studying eating disorder. So, you know, it's, it's, definitely a matter of timing. It's a matter of the types of questions that are asked. And it's Mm -hmm. a matter of like how people want to frame the subject. You know, I think sometimes there's this pressure to present that again, like everything was just fine and dandy (laughs) when you retired, you know? Um, and I, you know, as I have gone deeper into like practicing with clients and learning certain, you know, psychology treatment models. It's like, I also recognize like the power of vulnerability now in these kinds of interviews. And, um, you know, while I want to support my clients the best way possible, you know, through those like evidence-based frameworks at the same time, like I also have to do my own digging to understand like my vulnerabilities, my biases, whether that's from a sport context, a multicultural background, like, you know, it's just, there's a lot of different avenues that this work kind of allows you to do. And 
Um, and so, yeah, I think there's a lot of different complexities and nuances to this conversation that the more I kind of distance myself from my own retirement, the more I can look back and reflect and understand like, yeah, I was actually really struggling and I have to kind of own up to that. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, because you're, uh, you're much younger than I am, but you, I think around your time was when I started, I actually just started therapy. And so it seems like in terms of like processing your retirement, you're actually further along in the timeline than I am because I was really, I just, I was tired. I was, I knew what I was doing wasn't right. And I didn't realize that so much of it was connected to um, just having to leave sport and leave that identity and redefine yourself. And it is, it's really like starting over. I mean, Mm -hmm. sure. Like our skills will, um, will transfer, Mm -hmm. but I mean, no matter what we do, we're kind of, we are, we're starting from scratch really, at least from a skill development perspective, you know, whether it's Mm -hmm. in medicine, whether it's in psychology where somebody else even going to investment banking, you got to start somewhere. And, and I think that is, that's an overwhelming thing because maybe, you have reached such a high level. You started figure skating at what, like four? Yeah. <laughs> yep. That's all I knew. So that, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So what, what period when you reflect back on your experience, I know you mentioned that year after graduating, mm-hmm. but do you remember a specific moment that was like, man, this is, this is brutal. Like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do next. Yeah. There, there's one snapshot in particular that I, well, probably two uh, snapshots that I have kind of logged in my brain. I was like, those were definitely moments where I was really having a hard time. Um, one was I was sitting with Eric, my, my now husband, and we were just kind of sitting on a couch at, um, at my apartment. And I was coming to terms with the fact that I didn't want to follow through with applying to medical school. Um, and even though that was the context of the conversation, what was really happening was I was struggling with kind of this identity piece, like, what do I do now? (laughs) You know, like, who am I without this, you know, kind of prescribed academic path and without this, like, sport background that has just, you know, when I was going through high school and I was going through college, like everyone was like, Oh, that's the Olympic ice skater. And, um, and so that was how I even knew myself in many ways. Um, and I just remember sitting there just bawling with him and, you know, I didn't necessarily share at that point with him that I, that was kind of the real piece of that conversation. Um, but it was kind of couched in this medical school conversation, um, and probably didn't have the language yeah. to kind of articulate that. I certainly didn't. Yeah. And I don't think mm-hmm. I even had the insight yet at that point. Yeah. Like I just knew that, yeah, like you said, something was just off and I felt broken. And I remember talking about this in a, in another view and also in another interview and also with my um, PhD advisor, we were talking about how sometimes sport can feel like a really terrible kind of divorce or even like a death of like a part of yourself, especially if it's something that you have, you know, it's just like ingrained in every fiber of your being. It's just who you are. Um, and, and so that felt like one of those moments where I really came to terms with that. Um, and then there was a second 
point where I was going in to go coach one morning, and this was kind of in that same like year time span. Um, I was going in to go coach before I was starting to work at a research lab. And I remember pulling into the parking lot and it was, you know, like five thirty, six o'clock in the morning, completely dark outside. And I was sitting in my car and I just couldn't get out of my car. I was like, I can't go into the rink this morning. And you know, I was really upset. The mom of the the skater I was supposed to go coach, like pulled in next to me after coming in with some Starbucks coffee. And she just saw me sitting there and she was like, you need to go home. You need to go home and you need to no. just take the day off and like take care of yourself, you know? And it was one of those like, just really empathetic and compassionate moments where I was like, thank you so much. Like, I didn't even need to tell you what was happening. You just wow. saw and you're like, you, you need to like take some, you know, kind of TLC time to yourself. And I was so, so thankful for her in that moment because it just was like, okay, if someone sees me, even though they don't necessarily know what's going on, they're seeing me and they're under, like, they're understanding that I'm really hurt and struggling right now. So yeah, those are the two kind of snapshots that always come to my mind when I think about like that period. Um, and yeah, I just feel so, so grateful that I had really good support systems in place with Eric and with my family and with some of my friends um, who just knew that even though I was struggling and even if I wasn't sharing 100% of what was happening at that point in time, um, that they would be there for me and be there whenever I was ready to talk about it. Um, So yeah, it was, it was really interesting. And fortunately, like giving them giving me that space and time allowed me to like take the pressure off and figure out what was next. And that started kind of this whole, (laughs) that kicked off this domino effect of me um, starting to do research in this eating disorder digital tech lab uh, in the Bay Area and completely falling in love with the research and with the clinical work and then deciding Mm. now to to, um, pursue a PhD in, in clinical psychology. So I'm yeah, it, I think it all worked out like it was supposed to, even though it yeah. was a difficult period for sure. It always does kind of hopefully, you know, uh, I can't say that for everybody's journey, but I think for the most part, a lot of things do fall into place and they, yeah. they eventually work out. And I think the thing that is that's important to realize is like the thing, the, the path of, of the pieces falling into place is not just all the bright and sunny and happy, shiny <laughs> aspects, right? Like yeah. the, the part of the process is the struggle and the adversity and the really, really bad moments. Um, and, mm. and I think that there's something particularly in American and Western society where it's like, oh, we would just want like the happy part, you know, yeah. and, but this other part is, is really critical. And so thank you for sharing those two moments. So what yeah. a gift from that mother, like that she oh. like noticed that from you. And then the death component. Yeah. I mean, I always kind of mention that old adage of every athlete dies twice. The first occurs upon retirement. And that, mm-hmm. that adage has been around for, for decades. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, coming into this interview, I've, I've kind of had from an anecdotal perspective, like this, this idea that Olympians, Olympic athletes specifically seem to seem to really struggle mm-hmm. in leaving sport, maybe compared to others. Mm-hmm. Do you feel that's, what do you feel about that? thought or hypothesis? Yeah, I, it's probably true. I mean, you know, putting my research hat on, I'm like, (laughs) but but like clinically, let me go look at this right now. I know. know. 
this is, these are the many hats that I wear on a daily basis. Right. Um, but you know, it's also really cool to kind of have those different perspectives now. Um, but yeah, of course, anecdotally, you know, I think a lot of Olympians and Paralympians and athletes who are just at that top 0.01% of sport, you have to be incredibly committed and dedicated to be at that level. And so, you know, sometimes there's like obsessive components. There's, you know, this, this really intense commitment to not only the amount of time and effort that it requires, but just the emotional like dedication and yeah, kind of this identity piece. Like you have to believe that this is what you were meant to do and that's who you are. Um, so I think those kinds of combinations like inherently lend themselves to really having to take a lot of time to disentangle from that experience and um, even kind of the personality that it requires. <laughs> you know, it's funny kind of going through this program. Sometimes uh, some of my friends are like, wow, you seem, you know, like sometimes these late athletes, like I would imagine you being so intense and like, so, you know, so like with it and, and really committed and competitive. I'm like, oh yeah, don't worry. That part is still there. <laughs> like, yeah. That hasn't gone away. Uh, yeah. But now it's just, you know, now I, I, I'm able to balance that part of my identity and personality and, and that kind of, I can tap into that when I need it, because I knew that I have that in my back pocket from, from my experiences in sport. So, yeah. So all that to say, I think, I think sometimes that can kind of lend itself to a more difficult transition out, um, especially when it inherently just the amount of time that it takes to achieve that, that level in sport, um, minimizes the amount of time that you can pursue other things in your life. So yeah, you know, you got to fill the gaps. You have to rebuild a little bit. You have to rediscover who you are. And, um, and it takes a lot of strength and vulnerability and like willingness to do that because sometimes people aren't able to retire on their own terms, which I think complicates that picture even more. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're right. I think that the voluntary retirement versus involuntary retirement certainly affects how people leave sport, mm-hmm. but I think it's even a, a, a powerful and significant point that even for somebody like you who've reached such a high level and achieved the success that you did. And in many ways, while your last performance may have not been the perfect one or Mm -hmm. whatnot, but it sounds like you really had control over your narrative, but still, even then Mm -hmm. it was still hard for you. And so then that hopefully that validates other athletes experiences. Like Mm -hmm. no matter what, it's just, it's probably going to be really hard. Mm -hmm. And so I think my next question for you within the context of this topic is how were you able to recover and repair? And hopefully I framed the question less about like finding your next purpose because, right. Because it's like, I don't want I don't want, um, even though what I did too, is like immediately jump into the next thing, but (laughs) maybe from like, and it's like, Oh, I'm totally fine. You're like, Oh, I'm not. But from maybe like a more psychological, emotional perspective, how do you recover and repair? Yeah. I mean, sometimes I think it was the, well, I think it was a number of things. One of the key components though, and I keep coming back to this was like that social and family support, um, their willingness to not push me when I wasn't ready to talk about it, I think was really helpful in 
like I said before, kind of alleviating some of that pressure to, to fix it right away. You know, I'm, I'm such a problem solver that I'm like, bah, 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 here are the next steps that I need to do. And, you know, great. It'll be all sorted out. And, you know, um, and so I, I think that was one of the first experiences for me where I really had to start listening to my emotions and, and acknowledge the fact that there was some grief and loss in, in that process. And, you know, even I can think about a, a time when Eric and I were like making the bed upstairs a couple months ago. And I just had like some realization about my, my career and that retirement process. And it was one of those moments where I was like, wow, yeah, I really was struggling. Like I yeah. just wasn't even willing to acknowledge that sometimes because I wanted to, yeah, I just wanted to move on to what was next. And, and, um, so I think there's that social support, there's that willingness to like experience those emotions and kind of be and sit with yourself in that. Um, but also giving yourself like the time and the space. Um, I, I think I was less inclined to do that because of who I am (laughs) and, and my desire to just problem solve and move on. Um, but in looking back, the, when I was really taking the time, like taking that day off after, you know, trying to go to coach and just not even being able to get out of my car, um, that was one of those days where mm-hmm. I had good insights. I had good reflections and um, spent some time just kind of cataloging like some of these experiences that I've had and reflecting both positively on on my skating career, but also understanding that there were a lot of challenges and um, and that it wasn't just good or bad, right? Like there was so much gray <laughs> in that and so much color in yeah. that experience. So, yeah. So I think the social support, the willingness to kind of sit with it and taking that time and space, um, those were kind of the three things that I think really helped me navigate some of that. Yeah. And the social support is so really, so, so important. And some of that social support is, is kind of having to reach out. Right. And, and I think that's a really hard thing that I really had to, I mean, even still today at 41 years old, I'm still having to retrain my mind because Mm -hmm. as a tennis player, it's like, I can't reach out. Like we don't have any coaches. We're not allowed to be coached. Typically, Mm -hmm. um, you're by yourself for the most part. Uh, so for me, it's, um, it's a skill that's, that's ever evolving. Really hope you enjoyed today's conversation. For more episodes, just visit our show page on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts. And also to watch the full version of these interviews, you can head on over to YouTube. Just search for the show name, the next chapter with Prim Saripapat. Of course, subscribe to us, like us, give us a star rating because we really appreciate you listening and also showing your support. And you can also follow me on all the social media platforms, including Twitter and Instagram at Prim underscore Saripapat. The next chapter with Prim's Ripapad is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.